Welcome to another episode of the Tactical Leadership Podcast, where we focus on building better businesses. I believe in order to be the best leader that you can be, you must be willing to be the first follower and have a servant mentality when you're in a leadership position. If you want to be the best leader that you possibly can be, be sure to stay tuned and listen to industry leaders and hear how they built winning cultures in their own businesses. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Bron Lee, and we're going to talk about how he helps spread the good stuff. Before we begin, I want to remind you this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're a podcaster, YouTuber, content creator that wants to create tactical content that delivers, head over to nightly.productions and find out how we can help you. Broncar, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, brother. It's great to be here. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm super excited about this. I know we're going to have a great conversation. And, and before we really dive into that, I want to highlight some of the awesome aspects of your background where uh, you've been on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, but really you're a keynote speaker, a performer, a mindset coach. Like I said, you've been on The Tonight Show. You had the Super Bowl commercial. You have a viral video on YouTube that hit 300 million views recently. And all of that kind of ties into your brand, Spread the Good Stuff, where you focus on speaking on stage and coaching clients one-to-one, where you're really helping that literally spread the good stuff. Broncar, before we dive into what that means. Why don't you go ahead and unpack a a fun fact for us? Fun fact. Okay. I once toured as a ringmaster in a circus in Switzerland. (laughs) You have to be more specific. You can't just throw the fun fact out there. Were you the guy that was like cracking the whip for the lions or were you uh, (laughs) cueing the the dives off the tightrope? What part was your role? A little bit of everything. I was not in a cage with lions, though. A lion tamer, I am not. But yeah, I was basically the lead. So I created my own language. It was in Switzerland. So there's four main languages. And I basically created a hybrid version of beatboxing. And I fused that with kind of Schweizerdeutsch, Swiss German, and created this gibberish language that I performed in this circus as as the mayor of the village, which was the theatrical setting. So I was in just about every scene, running around and barking orders and doing all kinds of kooky stuff, man. <laughs> And that, that's awesome. That's uh, very unique. I'm sure there are a ton of stories from, especially turning all across Europe attached to that. That's a uh, pretty interesting. And is that what tied you into the Tonight Show or is there two totally different things, aspects attached to that? Yeah, well, I'd say, you know, it's hard to distinguish what connects to what because it's kind of the through line, the heartbeat of, you know, my life. And so that particular situation or, you know, event didn't directly book a gig at the Tonight Show, but because of that touring, I, you know, went from there and developed my own one man show, which I started off doing street performance in San Francisco at Pier 39. And then that led to, you know, producing a show in Los Angeles and Hollywood. And then that led to opening for an act then led to getting me on the tonight show. So it's quite a series of events and it's always really interesting to follow the breadcrumbs, so to speak, to see where we actually come from, which is something I love to focus on, you know, always, you know, nodding to the mentors and the originals and the people that have influenced, you know, my life. I love that, man. And you really kind of packaged all of that together with spread the good stuff, which is your brand. And I want to give you an opportunity to kind of explain that a little bit before we really unpack what got you to spreading the good stuff. Yeah. So spread the good stuff is really, it's a movement. It's an energy. It's an action. You know, literally spread the good stuff is a call to action in itself. And so what it really is on a couple different levels, the macro and the micro on the micro level, you know, we go inside 
to really keep our inner instruments in tune. I'm a musician. I play a lot of instruments. And one thing I like to, one metaphor I play with is looking at ourselves as instruments. Individually, we're instruments. And are we instruments of influence? Are we instrumental humans in the world? And in order to be truly instrumental to spread good stuff, we must first be in tune with ourselves. And so that's, you know, getting our mindset right, you know, getting our, our heart set right, our physical body right, you know, having everything in tune internally before we can then get out and spread the good stuff. And then once we get to that extroverted place of the action of spreading, of sharing, of, you know, influencing, leading, whatever that is, that then becomes the awareness of how we show up in the world and every single conversation we have is an opportunity to either build someone up or break someone down, to inspire someone, to ignite something within them, because every interaction we have creates an echo effect or a ripple effect. And long after the action has been made, that resonance remains. And that can be the, the smallest interaction with a barista at the coffee shop or someone making you a sandwich at the deli or letting someone in the, you know, to, to get in front of you when there's lots of traffic on the road to deeper things of how we serve our clients and how we show up and, you know, rock a keynote or lead a business meeting or have a one to one session. So in many different ways. I love that. And I want to go way back where, I mean, you play 42 different instruments and counting. I'm sure it's probably more by now, but you have the set your tone summit uh, here in Atlanta where you kind of you do an experiential like education entertainment type aspect attached to what you're doing. And I want to go all the way back. Like what got you started there? Were you playing like the flute in high school and and middle school? Like, did you start like way back there? Like what drew, drove this passion into integrating education and entertainment and music? Yeah, brother. Great question. So I got into music actually for therapeutic purposes. I was a very angsty teenager and, you know, had some, you know, had some less preferred behavior and habits, you know, a lot of, you know, alcohol abuse, tobacco abuse, food abuse. I was a hundred pounds overweight. I was just a bullet train for destruction. And I discovered the drums and the drums became my little sanctuary. The drums became my, my outlet to channel all of that angsty energy into. And because of those drums, I was able to kind of, you know, find my eye of the storm and ease all of my, my stresses and worries and anxieties. And from there, I started as I acknowledged the power of uh, having that outlet of taking this you know, intense energy and being able to convert it into this, you know, sonic, this sound, this vibration that then was really healing, not only healing myself, but also putting good energy out into the world. I wanted to share that with people. And so I founded self-expressions workshops. We're going way back now, but I founded self-expressions workshops and started going into schools, high schools, middle schools, elementary schools, and basically showing up with a whole bunch of drums and drumming with kids and getting them to you know, literally beat it out on a drum. And so that really ignited something within me seeing other people light up. When I saw other people having breakthroughs, when I saw other people overcoming their challenges or feeling better about themselves, then, you know, elevated my energy and lifted me up. And so I continued doing that. And 
thus I could talk for five hours straight about the journey, but I'll pause right there because that was really the the big catalyst for me was my self-discovery and how it helped me and then how it could also help other people. I want to highlight that a lot because I know in my downtrodden days um, after I, I found out about my injury and I was having surgery in my arm from the nerve damage from Afghanistan. One of the things that I found in my, again, in my darkest of days is I was beating myself up over not being capable of doing X, Y, and Z, right? There's, you're talking about self-mastery. And one thing I wanted to do for years was learn the piano because I have this like fifth generation stand-up piano. It's beautiful. It's beat up and destroyed. And I wanted to refinish it and I wanted to learn how to play it. And for years, it was like my New Year's resolution. I'm going to learn this year. I'm going to learn this year. I'm going to learn this year. And I started beating myself up over never going to be able to learn again because I, I couldn't feel, still can't feel half my hand, right? from my fingers, the finger touch. And what's funny is as I beat myself up over that, I recognized like the one person telling me I couldn't play the piano was the guy looking in the mirror. And the next day I went and bought a Yamaha digital keyboard and it's sitting over here. And like, that's part of my morning routine. We're talking about morning routines. I play, I do a lesson every morning. And for me, it's always been classical music. Listening to classical music takes my anxiety levels down and, and it shifted. What if I can play it and not just listen to it and like create that? So I, I want to give a huge shout out to like that aspect of what you're talking about, where the integration of self-mastery into something like music really does have a huge impact on a lot of people because it lets you kind of flow that mentality out, if that makes sense. So I, I really appreciate that aspect of what you're talking about. Yeah, brother. And also that's a great observation there, a great piece of awareness for yourself, because there's a huge difference in watching someone do something versus doing something, right? I mean, that's entrepreneurship, that's leadership, that's everything. The, the only difference is that I'm doing it and and they are not. And so there's, you know, that's the way I like to look at at life in general is are we are we passive or are we active? And, you know, if we're going to ride the pine, so to speak, and just sit on the bench and watch everybody else do the thing, play the game, throw the ball, you know, play the piano, whatever that is, that's totally fine. But when we can jump up and rise to the occasion and step in there and actually take ownership and, and, and become the thing, do the thing, there's such a big difference between playing the keys and watching someone play the keys. It's a completely different experience. It's like reading a book about Greece versus going there and eating the food and meeting the people and jumping in the water. There's such a big difference when all of our senses are engaged in that. We're, we're now living it. We're a part of it. We're not just observing it. And that's the difference of being passive or active, just being that observer or actually being engaged with it. And I love that because it's a choice, right? And as soon as you recognize you have that choice and you have that capability, a lot of that shifts and it goes to a word you used is ownership. And I think that's a huge piece of what makes a leader great is like taking ownership of those actions, not just of yourself, but of, of your team around you. What would you say would be one of those aspects or characteristics you really look for as you're coaching people to spread their good thing? What do you kind of focus on that you've recognized over the years? Yeah, I focus on the individual's you know natural abilities. We come into, you know, I have two boys, two young boys, a four-year-old and six-year-old. And they're very spirited, very engaged, very present, and they're extremely different. They came in with these personalities within them. And, and certainly there's, you know, the nature nurture conversation and where they're at and kind of the ranking or when they were, you know, born and, you know, what's going on in the world and all of these variables and factors in there, but they came in with little personalities. And so what I like to do is the same way I parent I identify 
what their natural gifts are, their natural talents are, their natural tendencies. What are they gravitating towards? What are they interested in? They may not be naturally good at something, but they might be interested in that. And then we can delve in and we can start to you know, learn about it and figure out if this is going to be a, a good idea to pursue or not. And so the same thing with big people, with adults. It's like I identify what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, being aware of that. Sometimes our greatest strengths are also our greatest weaknesses, and our greatest weaknesses are our greatest strengths. For example, if we want to step on stage and we want to deliver a vulnerable presentation, it's really good to have a little bit of fear within. It's really good to have a little bit of a little bit of anxiety within. It doesn't the key is to not let it rule us, right? But if we can bring a little bit of that authenticity, vulnerability to the stage, then it becomes relatability. And when we can be relatable to people, that's a powerful, very, very powerful tool. And, that, and as a fellow speaker, I, I can attest to that aspect. When you're on stage and you can get people engaged in that emotional context and present your story in that capacity where they're drawn into it. I absolutely love that aspect of it. And I imagine in the the all the performances you've done, especially tied into music, and then a lot of the speaking you've done, there is that emotion involved. Is that something that you really lean into and you really encourage your clients to lean into like that emotional aspect of it, whether it's emotional intelligence or just that raw emotion to make it more relatable? Yeah, definitely. And it comes down to the individual. So if if somebody, and this is my style as a performer, as a speaker, as a musician, as a coach, my style is to be a shapeshifter, is to assimilate to whatever the environment is. Human beings are incredibly adaptable. And so it's like, what is the adaptation tempo that we have? And so for me, I really strive to have a really fast, rapid, immediate adaptation tempo so that I can assimilate quickly to whoever I'm talking to or whatever the situation is. So if somebody you know, comes to me and they have a huge personality and they are fearless and they are just like, you know, just dominating the scene, super alpha, like right in your face. Like they are not afraid of anything. They're going to take the reins, bull by the horns and just do it. With someone like that, I would tend to then slip in kind of the, the back door through the back gate and say, okay, well, now let's figure out how to break you down a little bit to where you can be a little bit more vulnerable, to where you can share a little bit more about that softer side to you that maybe you haven't allowed yourself to see because most likely that energy is going to put some people off and isn't going to create a connection or a transformation or whatever that may be if it comes off too intense. So what I would do is try to soften that a little bit, try to bring in some more emotional intelligence, as you said, whereas somebody who comes in and they're super emotional and they're very engaged in that EQ realm, I would then say, okay, well, how do we bring in some, a little bit more assertiveness or a little more practical, tactical, a little more structure in there, you know, that that balance. And and if you look at it as kind of the, the YX graph, you got Y shooting up, X shooting over. Up here in this realm up top, you've got the emotional intelligence. You've got the energetic realm, the spiritual realm, the emotional realm, all of the unseen things in life. And then down here on this plane, you've got the spreadsheet, you've got the nuts and bolts, you've got the discipline, you've got accountability. And where those two merge and meet in the top corner, that's where the Jedi lives. That's where the mastery lives. When we can blend those two together, that's 
the yin yang. That's the duality. That's light and dark. All of those things. When that can come together, then you can show up. You can be relatable and you can be powerful at the same time. And I want to translate that over into something that you obviously are, I would say, an expert at. I mean, 300 million views on one video that went just extremely viral. I mean, that's huge. But also, I mean, you just put out a ton of video content. And I think a lot of what we're talking about currently really translates over into that content and limiting beliefs and getting yourself out there where a lot of people are, are too scared to get on stage. They're too scared. Even I had that same struggle starting a podcast. I hesitated for a year and a half before ever. I don't have anything to say got overcame with. It's not about me saying it's about meeting great people like yourself, right? What would be the the tips you would give somebody you're coaching or someone that wants to get content out there? Because we know video is that content king. What would you say to somebody that's just like has that limited belief? Like, I, I don't want to put it out there. I don't have anything to say. I don't look good on camera, whatever it may be. Yeah, man, I've, I've had this situation so many times. The main saying that I would say is don't be paralyzed by perfection right? We can easily become paralyzed by perfection. And that's any of us, myself included, people that I run with and collaborate with. And I'm constantly reminding myself of that, but not to be paralyzed by perfection, you know, and there's lots of saying, you know, done is better than perfect. One of my first mentors would always say high involvement, low attachment. And so it's like, be fully engaged, but then release it, right? Then it's got a life of its own, you know, and just let it go. And so, Another saying that I like to hold at the forefront of my mind is that which is not shared is lost. And so if we're not sharing it, our story or our perspective or things like that, then no one will ever hear it. And so I think the idea of a little more practical, tactical, if you look at some of the the lean startup content, you know, build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn. It's all about repetition. It's all about uh, routine, ritual, doing it over and over again. That's how we get good at anything. And there's a whole process and series that I go through about people, you know, being able to become more powerful and effective public speakers, whether that's leading a business meeting or coaching people or stepping on stage as an entertainer or a keynoter, whatever that may look like, but ways that we can create that repetition, repetition, repetition to basically get out of our own way. And when we can get out of our own way, then we can express ourselves freely. So there's a whole you know process that I go through around this and developing that self-awareness and then releasing the need to be uh, perfect, which is different than being effective. Perfect and effective are very, 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 very different. I love that. I laughed when you said that because they are very different, right? I mean, there is an efficiency and an effectiveness attached to doing things where you don't just want to not have a strategy attached to it. You want to have a little bit of thought and context put toward it. And obviously you you've done the time you've done the research attached to creating stuff that's impactful. Is there a resource that, that you've been hit with over the years, whether it's a book, a mentor, a coach, a podcast, is there something that you could recommend to the audience? Like this right here, just put my mind in, in the right direction. Oh man, there's so much, there's so much out there now, you know, it's all right, right there at our fingertips, you know, with podcasts and YouTube and everything. It's so the collective consciousness is just right there. <laughs> you almost can't avoid it. You know, it's like, I should tell people what not to watch, <laughs> which that might be um, a better question. What should we not be yeah, paying yeah. attention to uh, TikTok and Instagram and all the, yeah. the swipe all day 
Yeah, right. Well, you know, I mean, it, that's a great skill to cultivate is that awareness of when our energetic bandwidth is being hijacked. You know, at what point are, are, are we just being manipulated? And so for better, for worse, for right or wrong, for good, for bad, whatever, whatever it is, it's just, you know, is this serving me? And the question that I always ask is, and then we'll get back to some of the influence things that you were inquiring about, but I always tell my boys, every choice is either breaking up or building down. Either we're, either we're, we're building someone up or breaking them down where it's harmony or discord. The same thing goes for ourselves. Either this is bettering me or it's making me dumb. You know, it's like my wife recently read a book to them. I'm not going to reference the book because I just don't want to put it out there. So people go look for it at all. But like there was a book and she read it to the boys and she literally said, she said, that book made me feel dumb. Like, I think I was dumber for reading that book. And it's like, there's a lot of that stuff out there, man. So just having that awareness of this is either building me or breaking me. And and then obviously for everybody we're working with and surrounding ourselves with, you know, there's so many good coaches. I would say the one person that really transformed my life was, you know, very well-known mentor, uh, Tony Robbins. And when I saw Tony, I went to his UPW, I went to Unleash the Power Within in Los Angeles. And this was about a decade or so ago. And when I went to that, something flipped in my mind. And there was this ownership that happened in that weekend intense experience, you know, walking across fire and all of the things we did. But there was just something that happened through that experience that flipped something internally. And it really allowed me to kind of overcome that paralyzed by perfection feeling of just, hey, I'm going to just do this and I'm just going to see where it goes. And and then I became playful after that. It was like an experiment. I was just curious, like a child, like a childlike scientist. I was just curious about what would happen if I tried this. And it was really that full engagement with it, but not being attached to the outcome. So I wasn't saying, oh, I must get you know, 300 million views, you know, as a reference point, I must, this must lead to this thing. It's like, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to lean into it and be curious and just see where it goes. I'm not attached to it. And that's, I think a difference between an expectation versus an intention An expectation. We have a fixed finale, a point that we're getting to, whereas an intention is slightly different. I mean, it's like what you talk about with, you know, the tactical leadership stuff. It's like, we want to have a plan, right? We're not just going to completely improvise. We want to have a plan, but then we're fully engaged and we're ready to improvise with the jazz of life. And so when we have a piece of music that we've prepared, we're going to show up in the world and we're going to start playing that music. But when we start playing with others and it becomes a soft skill or it becomes something where there's a collaborative element to it, we can't be you know, totally attached to it because now suddenly this structure, when another party is involved, is going to take on a life of its own. There's you plus them plus the together. That's the harmony. That's the, the harmonic effect. One plus one doesn't equal two. It equals three. There's me, there's them, and there's us. And so I think that's a big uh, important element is to really be prepared to improvise with the jazz of life. I love that. I wrote that down, the jazz of life. I love that because there's such a rhythm and a flow to life that people can get out of when they hit that 
hump in the road. And I mean, I think we've all experienced that, especially in entrepreneurship, man. There's always a bump in the road somewhere, the next obstacle to overcome, the next learning opportunity. And I think a lot of what I, I love about what you just said is a key word for me is intentionality, being intentional with the things you do, intentional with each aspect, each meeting, each part of your day. And a lot of that set with your morning routine. And we talked about that before we started recording is like the power of a morning routine. Give us an insight on your morning routine, especially with the two boys. I have a five-year-old goddaughter that I can send back to her mom. So I don't know what a full-time <laughs> child life is like. So tell us a little bit about your morning routine. Yeah, brother. Morning routine is so critical. You know, well, I start off with having specific alarms set uh, on my phone. So they're set for specific times because numbers make a difference. So a lot of my alarms are set for, you know, 4.44 a.m., 5.55 a.m. You know, they're specific numbers, 5.27 a.m., and they're also anchored with, I label them. So they have specific words on them or emojis and things like that. I might also make it a specific song uh, that I want to wake up to or tone that I want to wake up to. So it starts off with that because that is the first thing that we hear in the morning. That's the first thing that we see in the morning. And that it's like the opening of a movie. You know, anytime you, you go to a major blockbuster movie, the opening scene is so incredibly important. And most of the time they're pretty intense, either emotionally intense or action packed or whatnot, but they're very intense because the beginning and then the middle and then the end are so incredibly important. The hero's journey, there's you know a lot of formulas out there. So as soon as we wake up, what are we hearing? What are we seeing? And then what are we saying to ourselves? The first thing I do in the morning is I take opportunity breaths. And what I mean by opportunity breaths is I breathe in and I actually say the word opportunity in my mind, opportunity. And so what that does is it is it influences my mind to start searching for the opportunity. What is the opportunity today? What is here right now? And as we put a word like opportunity at the forefront of our minds, we start to search for that. And so the question I ask is, you know, what are the words that you're putting on the forefront of your mental search engine every day? And if you're putting words in there like yellow Jeep, you're going to start seeing yellow Jeeps. If you put words in there like, peace of mind. You're going to search for peace of mind, more clients, more clients, whatever that is. But we're going to start to see that instantaneously when we wake up. So what I put on my alarm, what I hear on my alarm, and then the first thing is, is breathing my, taking my opportunity breaths. And then I do a body scan and I just simply scan my body for a moment and say, okay, is there any pain in my body right now? Uh, if so, where is that? Okay. Now I need to make attention to that pain today. I, that's going to dictate what I do in my morning routine. That's going to dictate how I show up in the world. Now, maybe there's something that is required of me that's a demand that I have to do. And if that's the case, then I need to make attention and be proactive to make attention to that part of my body that's in pain. So I do this body scan where it's developing a real relationship with the body. So my mind is talking to my body and saying, where is the pain? Is there any pain? I'm searching for that so that I can make attention to it. And then that leads me to getting out of my bed. This is before I've gotten out of my bed. And, you know, and this happens in 60 seconds. You know what I mean? 90 seconds. It's not long. And then I get out of bed and then that determines what I'm going to do that morning. So I always drink a, a full glass of water to hydrate. We haven't had water in however many hours we've slept. So I drink a full glass of water and then I, I really sink in to some type of movement 
and I move my body, I would say I fire up the furnace, right? So I fire up the furnace and that could be really light stretching. That could be, you know, Qigong or Tai Chi or some type of energy work. That could be push-ups and sit-ups, you know, and squats. That could be a, a, a variety of things depending on where I'm at and what I need. But the, the ultimate skill is the self-awareness so that we can have self-mastery because it's not a cookie cutter thing of like every day I'm going to go run 10 miles or whatever it is, or do a hundred jumping jacks. It's Every day, I'm going to fire up the furnace. Every day, I'm going to get my inner instrument in tune. What do I need today for that? So, And that is also determined as to when I wake up, depending on what I've done the night before. What are the, Did I just fly in you know, from the West Coast, which I just got in a couple of days ago? Did I just fly in from the West Coast after doing like six events back to back to back? Okay, well, I need to sleep in. I don't need to get up at 444. <laughs> That's going to burn the candle at both ends and wreck my body, and I'm going to be a... You know, a, a you know, worthless. And, but ultimately that's kind of what I do is I have this menu of several things that I can choose from. And then as I wake up and I ask my body these questions, then I find the answer that I need, which is do this or this. I love that because it's one of those, man, I got so stringent with my morning routine that it's like, all right, I have to journal. I have to read. I have to do my three things I'm grateful for. I have to play the piano. I have to go work out every morning. I'm in the gym, you know, and it became one of those. It's like a robust four hour morning routine. That's like, okay, this is just exhausting at this point. Right. So I, I broke it down where each day I dedicate to journaling or reading or playing the piano. Right. And kind of have that rhythm a little bit better. And I have to ask, because you brought it up, my alarm one, I don't hit snooze. I hate the snooze button. I think it's the worst invention ever and ever, ever. But my alarm is the Rocky theme song every morning. That's what I wake up to because it's like my hype song. Yeah. So I have to know what is that song? If you're listening to something, what's that song you hit in the morning? Man, my jam is Maceo Parker, Shake Everything You Got. It's like I'm a sax player. So I play, uh, I love saxophone and Maceo Parker just lays it down and he plays the sax like it should be played. Uh, so that's the song. If I want to get hype, it's a long tune. It's like 17 minutes. But man, if I want to get it bumping and shaking and moving, I, I, I throw that on and I'm ready to go. <laughs> man, I love that because it, it, it's funny. When that alarm goes off, I always do like a fist pump. I'm like, yeah, every morning, like it just hits me. And it, I think that's something that a lot of people miss. And that's why that snooze button gets hit so much by a lot of people. Because I know I have clients that struggle with it where they set seven alarms and snooze every single freaking one of them. Hmm. And they're in bed for 45 minutes before they ever get up. Talk about lack of intentionality. Like that's not intentional in starting the day. It's not intentional like getting up. And I think setting that in the morning, just a song that like hypes you, whatever that may be, such a great way to like get the blood flowing right off the bat. And I love that aspect of what you're talking about. Cause to me, that's the mindset first thing in the morning. Yeah, brother. And I, I look at it as like, what are the things that get you to your place of power? And what gets us to our place of power? It's what are we hearing? What are we smelling? What are we tasting? You know, what are we feeling? All of those things matter. If we wake up and it smells like a trash can in our room, 
it's like that's uninspiring. You know what I mean? But it's like if you got whatever your your jam is, you know what I mean? Like Christmas candle or something. I don't know. But like you're going to be like more hype. You're going to be more stimulated, you know? And so that makes a big difference. And, and how do we get to that place of power right away? And a lot of that is looking for that opportunity. It's saying, what is the opportunity here? What's the opportunity? Who can I influence in a positive way today? How can I lead in an effective way today? How can I become stronger today? Who needs me today? You know, I mean, these questions of how can we serve? How can we contribute? How can we be a part of this collective here? How do we, how can we spread more good stuff? And that's really how, you know, spread the good stuff was born. It's like, it's a simple call to action. And so as we're taking our opportunity breaths, how can I spread the good stuff today? Who can I affect in a positive way? Just by a simple action, you know, passing it on, buying somebody a coffee, making a call, sending a positive text message, you know, smiling at somebody, whatever that may be. There's so many opportunities out there. I just had this experience the other day of when I was out on tour, I went to Starbucks to get a drink and I walked out. And as I walked out, I was out in uh, Portland at the time, I think. And I walked out and the door kind of closed behind me. And then this lady walked in and she was walking up and I stopped. I went back and opened the door for her. And she like stopped and looked at me and she was like, Oh my gosh. She's like, thank you so much. Like she could not believe that I stopped, went back and reopened the door for her. And it was such a simple act. So simple. But through that process, I started looking at it and I said, opening the door for someone is such a small thing, but it created this positive ripple effect in her. And that energy is then going to be passed on to the barista. That's going to get passed on to the next person. That's going to get passed on to the next person. That energy is going to live out long after the action's been made. The resonance remains. And so, but I started thinking then, what if every single door I walked through was an opportunity to spread some good stuff? Every single door I walk through, it's literally a door of opportunity. And so little things like that where it's selfless, you know, it's like, how can I do something for someone else today? When we can look at that, you know, you talk a lot about legacy here. You know, that's significance. That's like micro doses of legacy right there. You know, that's doing something that lives on beyond me. You know, that's beyond the individual that now has an energy and a life of its own because it, it created and catalyzed a spark in someone else. And now they're going to carry that. And that might be exactly what they needed because we never know where people are at and when they need this intentional, seemingly random act of kindness in their lives. I love that, that you brought that up because it's so funny to me how absorbed we get in our own lives at times where we start forgetting the small acts, right? And just last week I flew back from Austin and there's older lady that was sitting across the aisle from me, went to reach for her bag. I grabbed her bag out of the overhead bin for her. And she literally paused and made like almost an ordeal out of it where I was like embarrassed, semi-embarrassed. I blushed about it where she's like, young man, your mother raised you right because so many men around us will not grab a bag for a lady. That is a very gentlemanly thing for you to do. I really appreciate you doing that. To me, it was just nature, right? I'm taller. I'm stronger. I can grab the bag for it. It's no big deal. For her, it was that significant act that was like such a small thing that literally she like said it loud enough for the guys sitting around us that didn't get up to help her kind of looked up like, oh, and it's like that stuff. It's like, like what you're saying. It makes me laugh now, but it's like, realistically, those are the acts of kindness that really feed forward and spread the good stuff. And man, I, I have to ask, and you already brought up legacy. So, you know, this is where we're going with the question with everything you're spreading with all the good stuff that's being put out there. What is the legacy you want to leave on the world? Yeah, bro. That's a great question. I'm going to answer it in two parts. Actually. The first is I just want to piggyback on what you just said. 
these intentional acts of kindness and how important they are, you know, and it's something simple like, you know, opening the door for someone or getting their bag out of the overhead compartment like you did. There's another thing that I do because I'm at the airports a lot. I travel a lot. So I'm at the airport and I, eat, I go to Starbucks a lot. As I mentioned already, oatmeal and coffee is like my road food. So when I go to a coffee shop at the airport, it's always, most oftentimes it's very stressful. People are in a hurry. They're trying to catch a flight. There's a lot of anxiety around just in the air. And one technique, and this is connected because you said the other guys around you heard what she said, right? One thing that I love to do is as soon as I get up to the front of the line at the coffee shop, I like to just pause for one moment and say, thank you so much for being here. If you weren't here making my coffee this morning, I wouldn't have coffee. And you know what? I might be a little bit grumpy and then I might not have a great day. So I just want to thank you for being here this morning and making my coffee for me. And then I'll look to the person next to me and I'll be like, am I right? I mean, how grateful are we for this person right here making our coffee for us this morning? Thank, thank you. A round of applause for you. Thank you. And you know, and sometimes I don't go quite that extreme, but just that simple acknowledgement, you can feel the echo effect going on, the ripple going on down the aisle. And the next person that comes up is going to smile or at least look at that person like they're a human being, not a robot on the other side of the counter. That counter creates such a divide for us that we forget that that's a human being over there. That's a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister. It's like that person is human and that person needs to be filled up with some good stuff, man. So that's one thing that I like to do oftentimes when we're there. Human to human, we're right here, right now. Thank you. Then coming back to that more macro, you know, picture of legacy, you know, for me, I want to, you know, it's big, but it's like, I want to make the world a better place, right? Okay. Well, well, what does that mean? Okay. That could look like a lot of things for a lot of different people, but I think most of us feel that in our hearts. And I know for me as a parent, having, you know, two boys, I really want the world to be a better place for them. I want them to be able to thrive, right? And that's kind of that legacy or that significance that's passed on. And my grandmother was such a big influence for me. And she died several years ago, but her legacy lives on. She, I feel her working through me sometimes. And I'm not talking about some woo-woo stuff like my grandma's spirits working through me. I'm saying like the things that she instilled in me, she, you know, whatever that is, confidence, self-awareness, compassion, I feel those lessons working through me. And she was a social worker and she worked, I, I was raised around lots of different types of people. And I saw the way that she brought out the best in other people. She always made them feel welcome. Like they were part of the community. Like they had a voice, like they, they had a purpose and she always brought that out of them. And so I always think of grandma Broncar. And there was one experience in particular where we, we watched the Andy Griffith show together. And for those of you who are familiar with the Andy Griffith show, it had this super catchy theme song. And that song got stuck in my head. And when we left the house this one particular day, we went to the grocery store and my grandma was humming that song in the grocery store. And then a few minutes later, I heard somebody else humming that song. And I was like, oh, they've been watching the Andy Griffith show. And then I realized, oh no, they heard my grandma humming it a few minutes ago, a few aisles over, and it's in their head. And they had this smile on their face. 
And I remember this, was, I was five years old at the time, and I remember the feeling, I remember the feeling of seeing them ignited, and I thought to myself, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do right there. I want to sing my theme song at the top of my lungs, putting out the good stuff so that it brings out the best in others. And so the question that I ask is, what is the theme song that everyone here listening to this is singing? What is the theme song that you're projecting, that you're broadcasting to the world every day? Because the music that you sing makes a difference. And the thing that truly defines us as individuals is not what we think we are. What truly defines us as individuals is what is in the heads and the hearts of others long after we have left the room. So that is my idea of significance and legacy. Bronco, I absolutely love that, man. I, I love the, uh, I can't even whistle that well. You nailed that. Obviously, I, I would expect nothing less <laughs> from somebody. I would assume whistling is one of the many instruments. But man, I, I love that because as soon as you started whistling, I'm like, yeah, I remember that. That's old school. And it brings that that memory back that people love to smile about, man. And I appreciate all the effort, all the hard work you're putting in, man. Give the audience the opportunity. Where can they find you? Of course, plug the YouTube channel and of anything that they can do to find the Spread the Good Stuff brand. Where would that be? Yeah, brother. So the best place is we have old school spreadthegoodstuff.com. That's that's our hub. So if you go there, you know, we've always got things available, free resources there. We've got a lot of, you know, toolkits of, you know, how to master our mornings, how to, you know, be a magnet in the world, how to create more good stuff there. So that's the best way to get involved with, you know, I've got music on there, a lot of tons of free resources, music, mindful practices, you know, personal development stuff. But yeah, just check out spreadthegoodstuff.com. And if today resonated with you, please reach out to me, send me a message. I'm very accessible through the website. But I love to meet people. I love to get to know people. I love to serve and contribute. And yeah, so spreadthegoodstuff.com, my friends. <laughs> love it, Broncar. Thank you so much. And I encourage the audience, not only reach out, say hey to Broncar, but also come back this Friday for Tactical Friday, where we're going to break down how you can spread the good stuff. Thanks, Broncar. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Tactical Leadership Podcast. And I hope you got a ton of value out of what we talked about today. I also want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Night Protection Services. If you're a leader in a small to mid-sized business that does five to $10 million a year in revenue and want to improve retention costs, which could actually add up to being twice your employee's salary, all through creating a safer work environment and saving up to 25% in insurance costs, be sure to visit nightprotectionllc.com. 